As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. I hope all of you have taken a couple breaths since the last time we spoke. Um, Obviously, it was not the way that uh, many of you wanted it to go, but uh, the Bills are now entering a weekend against an opponent that is... By and large, one of the Super Bowl favorites this year, and for for great reason, going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, going on the road to do it, and we'll see exactly the response from the Bills and how they could potentially try and open this thing up to see if they can get back on track. They're seven and five on the season. You know, they were fortunate to see the Steelers lose to the Vikings on Thursday night football. And the Steelers were the closest ones to the Bills in the playoff in the playoff uh, realm uh, in terms of the last um, the team on the outside looking in. And uh, yeah, it's for the Bills. They need to figure out who they are moving forward and what uh, they can do from here. And a lot of that has to do from an offensive perspective. And that's where I kind of wanted to start today's show. I mean, we'll. We'll get into the Buccaneers and how these two teams kind of match up. Maybe some interesting facets to kind of look for because uh, that this matchup, I think, could be a really fun one between two teams that are usually pretty high scoring and two teams that like to throw the ball around a lot. Could be a pretty fun one down in Tampa. So we'll we'll get into the matchup later on in the show. And then uh, after we talk about the the offense a little bit here and maybe how they, they want to play things... Uh, we're going to talk to Greg Allman, who covers the Buccaneers for The Athletic. If you haven't seen his story on the trade, the inner workings of the trade that yielded the Bills, Josh Allen, and the Buccaneers, Vita Vea, uh, I I would highly suggest that you do that, that you can go over and find that on theathletic.com, which, by the way, if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash Beat and get yourself a discount on your yearly subscription um, and it's very worth it for pieces like the one Greg puts together. And also you get access to anything and everything that the athletic has to offer, regardless of sports, um, fantasy sports, you know, bills coverage, of course, Sabres coverage, all that good stuff. So be sure to head over to the athletic.com slash the Buffalo beat. So let's dive deep into the offense here. And I opened the show with hope everyone took a breath because I think it's necessary. The game against the Patriots, I think, is a bit of an anomaly for a few different reasons. One being the weather, which was, quite frankly, stupid, <laughs> if, if we're being honest. That was one of the the, the more egregious weather games that uh, I have covered since... Uh, being someone covering the Bills and watching how these two teams had to kind of play things and, you know, 
basically the Patriots becoming a, a one one sided offense, only throwing the ball three times. Like it's just ridiculous stuff. Watching a punt go straight in the air and then going directly to the right as soon as it hit the air. Like it's just it was just it was just silly. So and not to re- make you relive what happened in that game, but you know, there are so many different elements to that game that just seem like it's unsustainable throughout the, the rest of the season. Like, you know, the Bills not leaning into their passing attack really until the second half, I want to say. I mean, there were there were bits and pieces through the first half, but you know, once once they really felt like they needed to move the ball, they, that's when they started to go to Josh Allen. And I think they they maybe even thought more of the weather and felt like that the Bills or that they needed to play to the strengths of the weather rather than to the strengths of themselves. And that that to me is is part of the reason why maybe it unraveled when it did. And by the way, they're they're still if we're looking at it from what could have been a what could have been standpoint, there were a Mitch Morse block away from Zach Moss potentially running it into the end zone on his first and goal from the six, which by the way, he should not have bounced that outside. He made the right read. Mitch Morris just blew the block. If you um, haven't seen the stills and maybe the the shots from the end zone angle on that play, I suggest you go check out my all 22 breakdown because, you know, clear as day. I mean, there was a wide gap waiting for Zach Moss to just put his foot in the ground and rush it upfield and Morse lost his block almost immediately as as Moss made his decision. So uh so yeah, go ahead and, and check that out. But but there's that. Um maybe uh you know a, a drop pass away uh if you want to call Stefan Diggs drop pass um a, bunch, a couple of different red zone opportunities. Like the the Bills just squandered opportunities in the second half and specifically in the fourth quarter. To make you think, okay, well, they're in there somewhere. This offense is in there somewhere. And they've they've gone through this song and dance quite a bit. So it really depends on them as to what they want to be. And I found some of the, the wording this week interesting from the Bills. You know, the when you talked with head coach Sean McDermott and offensive coordinator Brian Dable, there was this overall want to be physical and establish the line of scrimmage and that like when you hear that you're like oh my god are they going to run the ball with Zach Moss every play and and try to be powerful and even uh on Thursday when McDermott spoke with reporters he he said hey you know uh I really enjoyed how uh how Zach Moss uh how he ran with power and so that makes you go okay well is is that part of this, especially with Dable saying those exact words, you know, we want to be a physical offense and establish the line of scrimmage. So I think that threw a lot of fans off guard and it kind of goes back into the conversation that I had with Matt Bovey in the post game. Like what exactly do they want to be? Uh, is Sean McDermott and Brian Dable somewhat on the same page like, do they have the personnel to run this type of physical line of scrimmage, line of scrimmage establishing offense that they so covet? Um, but then later in the week, you listened to Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, and like Josh Allen, he didn't get into it, but he's like, we want to get back to what we're good at. And Stefan Diggs was, you know, I, I found his his comments somewhat illuminating because I asked him straight up, like, okay, what does physical and at the line of scrimmage mean for a receiver? And he's like, I don't know, block. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't think he's taking what was said publicly to a grand degree. So although we have heard all of these different things, and I think fans are kind of concerned as to whether or not this is going to shift into like a, 1970s 1980s style offense I don't think that's going to be the case especially not in this game because like they're intelligent and Brian Dable for some of his failures as an offensive coordinator he's overall been 
a really productive one and a really good one, one that has helped um, bring along a quarterback to a franchise, an MVP caliber level in Josh Allen. And the one component of what he does that is consistent throughout, you know, huge weather games notwithstanding, is he goes after the weakness of the opponent, and he tries to highlight the strengths of his offense as much as he can. And as much as the execution will allow him to be. And that's another part of this. Like, we we heard a lot uh, from the players like, oh, it's all about execution, which is such a vague term. It's like, okay, well, there's nothing there's nothing more to, to do than to just play better. That's Execution basically means play better and not losing your blocks, not letting... A, a pass hit you in the hands or in the chest and falling down like Dawson Knox did a few times in that game. You know, not allowing... I don't even want to bring up the Stefan Diggs one because I think that was a borderline impossible catch, catching it over his... What was it? His left shoulder, I think, to the back of the end zone and uh, or basically looking straight up um, and having to deal with the ball moving in the wind. He didn't make any excuses for it, but what have you. So... All that said, I think Dable and the offense, if I had to guess, I don't think they're going to mess around and try and, you know, rush it up the gut against one of the better run defending teams in the NFL that has one of the best nose tackles in the league in Vita Vea and certainly a lot of good pieces on that defensive line like in Damakung Su. Um you know, Jason Pierre-Paul can still defend the run, even though his his pass rushing has kind of lost him a little bit. A couple of good linebackers and Devin White and Levante David. So I don't really think that this is this is the time to kind of mess around with that. I think they'll mix in some runs, but make no mistake, they know what their fastball is. Brian Dable knows what their fastball is, and I think Sean McDermott knows what his fastball is. And despite, you know, having it look how it looked, on Monday, I don't think that's necessarily necessarily representative of who they are and who they'll be moving forward as long as the weather somewhat cooperates. And I know a lot of you out there, you know, looking at how the bills are set up right now are screaming like, well, so build a dome. And I kind of agree with you, but, I don't, you know, that's a conversation for a different day. But when you look at how they can move the ball against this Buccaneers team, it just screams at you like, okay, well, you've got this super athlete of a quarterback that you can use in multiple different ways. You've got a Buccaneers pass rush that have been better in sacks, but have not been as good in and consistent pressure um, as they were last year, especially in the playoffs. And then you have their secondary who has been completely ravaged by injuries and they're getting healthier now but it's still at the point where they kind of have to prove it with with the guys that they they have out there so if you're the bills like i think there's a difference between running the ball and and you know running the ball a lot versus being physical and establishing the line of scrimmage i think he wants i think out of everything I think that means that Sean McDermott wants more out of his offensive line because Mitch Morse against the Patriots really struggled. You know, I thought Ike Buckter had a a pretty good game, you know, you know, like around an average level, which is which is good for him. Uh Deion Dawkins had a really nice game as a pass protector. Uh I thought Daryl Williams played particularly well in that game. But Mitch Morse really struggled. I thought Spencer Brown really struggled. And those two guys really contributed to a lot of negative plays for the Bills. So I think being physical and establishing the line of scrimmage is all about consistency along the offensive line as opposed to, hey, we're going to we're gonna run into a brick wall with Zach Moss until we're blue in the face. I, I, you know, this past weekend has been crazy in terms of drawing conclusions and the attention that it's received both from a, a a micro and a macro level being local versus national like it is one of the 
strongest reacted to games that I have seen from the Bills that have not been a playoffs game, a playoff game that that I've covered. And I think a lot of people are trying to draw out like either X is true or Y is true when in reality it's probably X and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't I still believe that inherently this is a Bills coaching staff that is smart. Like have they made questionable decisions? Yeah. Like Sean McDermott, that was not his finest day against the Patriots on Monday. And he, he made a lot of errors that came back to haunt them a couple of different times. You know, and and he has to learn from that. And do I think things are a little tight right now with with the Bills? Yeah, I think I think it is a bit. Because right now they're they're dealing with the fact that they're seven and five. They're now a game and a half down in the division, and they came into this year with all of these weighty expectations to be a Super Bowl contender, and now they're in the final spot in the AFC playoff picture, 12 games into a 17-game season. So I think things are a little tight right now, maybe even from a coaching's perspective as opposed to a player's perspective. For the most part, I've felt like the players have been pretty loose this week all things considered. Like, you see how Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen have, have kind of been operating. I think there's a there's a slight intensity at, at, uh, at practice this week. But all in all, I still think this is a team that is intelligent to know, enough to know what their strengths are, that they're not going to switch at all from, from one, one game to the next. I mean, let's also not forget the thing that Sean McDermott said in the post game after the Patriots game. I asked him, I'm like, you're 12 games in. Can the running game be fixed? And he said, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be tough. So being self-aware to know that, hey, the running game isn't necessarily your fastball. It all kind of leads you to the belief that they're not going to overthink this. And try and force the run against a good run run stuffing team. That to me just doesn't make any sense. And it would fly in the face of everything that this coaching staff and this team has done since McDermott has taken over with Dable as his offensive coordinator. So, like I said, I think the the whole notion of being physical, establishing the line of scrimmage is all to do with making sure that when you need to run, you can put up a little bit of a better effort. But basically, this is all about the offensive line. And it's been a, a major cause for concern all season long. You know, it's it's leading us into different little side conversations of, and I even brought this up in my All-22 that I referenced earlier in the episode. Mitch Morse really struggled. And if they're trying to run like a more physical brand of blocking, or run blocking, that's not really him. And that's where things can kind of get a little hairy for him. But if you're a, a pass first team, a pass blocking unit, then Mitch Morse is a really good center to to have there. So I think it's it's all just to do with controlling the line of scrimmage from maybe a pass blocking perspective. So do I think they're going to come out and run the ball 40 times, 30 times, heck, even 25 times? Probably not. Do I think... They'll want to establish Josh Allen a bit more as a runner in this game. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a way to do it. And certainly against this Buccaneers team, they have shown some weaknesses on the edges of their run defense to where I think there's some opportunities for a guy like Josh Allen on, on zone read stuff or maybe even just on, on stock uh, quarterback sweeps uh, that, that they've run from time to time where they'll get some blockers pulling in front of them, which is a strong suit of like a guy like Mitch Morse. And I think it also kind of suits someone like Devin Singletary a bit more, like trying to pop a run out of shotgun or, you know, Matt Breida um, maybe uh, uh, being in the mix from that perspective. But they still know that that is not going to be their best means of moving the ball down the field. And certainly with the Buccaneers' weaknesses in the secondary I don't think we'll see them completely abandon 
their MVP caliber quarter passing quarterback to where he's he's just handing the ball off left and right. So as I let off with, I think it's good for everyone just to take take a deep breath. That game on Monday is over. The Bills are still seven and five. The season is not over. They have five games remaining, three of which against extremely beatable opponents. Like for instance, to prepare for the Buccaneers game, I watched the the Falcons Bucks game from this past week as one of the things I watched for the Bucks. The Falcons are pretty bad. Like they're they're outplaying what they should be at the moment. And the Panthers are kind of a mess right now. And, you know, the Jets, certainly, it would be somewhat of a surprise if if the Jets can beat the Bills at home in Week 18 of a season where uh, it's kind of lost for the Jets. But this Buccaneers game and this Patriots game are the, are the two moments where it's like, okay, well, if the Bills want to show that they can be this team in the playoffs, then these are two fantastic spots for them. So... I think it's it's good just to, you know, breathe it out. This Buccaneers game game is one that I think the Bills can win. We'll get into that. But it's still just a matter of, you know, seeing that the Patriots game was just one game. And that, you know, things break right. The Bills can still win the AFC East. There's still that much time to go. And if they win this week, they're only one game down from the Patriots. And they still have a game against the Patriots to go. So it's not as though all is lost right now. And I know based on how we we kind of reacted to the game on Monday, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's it's good to, you know, see the bigger picture with, with that sort of stuff. But it's also good to kind of take a breath and a step forward from that to see the bigger picture as to what the season could still be. And one of the things that we'll get into with Greg Allman is how exactly the Buccaneers turned things around last year after being seven and five heading into the after their 12th game of the season to where, you know, they turned it around, you know, ran it towards the Super Bowl. This is still a good Bills team. And I think everyone should kind of realize that they're still talented. They're still pretty healthy outside of Tredavious White. I don't know. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't count them count them out just yet. And even if they lose the Buccaneers, I still wouldn't count them out just yet because the Buccaneers are a darn good team. So we'll get into some uh some matchup stuff, but uh right after this, we will talk to Greg Allman, who is the Buccaneers writer for The Athletic, so stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, well, uh, we'll get to some more game breakdown in just a minute. But before we do any of that, very happy to have... Greg Allman on from The Athletic. He, of course, covers the Buccaneers for us and does an incredible job of it. So be sure to read all his stuff. He also wrote an awesome story getting uh, comments from Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, about the trade that uh, put together the Josh Allen for Vita Vea deal, one that went very well for the Bills. So, Greg, thanks so much for joining us here on the Buffalo Beat. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the game. Yeah, it's it's one of those that is... um, Really, I mean, it kind of maybe lost its luster based on how the Bills performed on Monday. I don't know how much you watched of it, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, I think this one could be 
pretty fun based on the way these two teams play and the way that Sean McDermott has kind of uh, gone up against Tom Brady in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it kind of feels like in many ways what could be the opposite of what Monday night was. Right. Obviously, uh, you know, temperatures in like the mid-70s, um, a little bit different from a climate sample. And, and honestly, it, it could kind of be windy. Uh, the one thing that makes it interesting is it looks like it, it could be like a 12 to 15 mile an hour wind game. Um, so at least you'd have that to remind you of Monday. Uh, but yeah, no, it feels like, you know, it could be a lot of points scored. Um, again, kind of the opposite of what you guys had uh, Monday night. Yeah, 12 to 15 mile an hour, miles an hour. I think Bills fans are That's going like, like nothing <laughs> compared to Monday. <laughs> Bills fans are going, okay, uh, because did you see the the one Bailey punt in the first half from the, the yeah. pitch? Like it just, it basically went up in the air and then went straight right. It was hilarious. And not only that, like the wind affected it on the drop. That's yeah. what amazed me. Like to show it, it's like you're dropping it three feet and yeah. the wind caught it. And then yep. that extra point. Like the, the actual, no, I guess it was maybe a, sh- a short field goal, but the field yeah. goal, again, just inside it out. And it's it's like at that point, like, I, I don't know why you would attempt to kick even that long the rest of the night. Yeah, going down that that way, um, it's it's honestly just like a vortex <laughs> of, of, right, yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, both teams were, were struggling really hard in that capacity. So this game is, uh, like I said, super interesting. Um I mean, how have the Buccaneers handled the weighty expectations being the Super Bowl champs last year, returning everybody? Because I think the Bills have been kind of in the same same boat because they returned a lot of people, but they haven't really gotten the results that they've been looking for, whereas the Bucs have. So how have things kind of unraveled so far uh, for, for the Buccaneers? I think they've handled it well for the most part. I think they knew coming in, obviously Brady's done this for a long time, so I think he can kind of impart a lot of wisdom on so much of this team that's very new to handling this spotlight and the expectations of, of such high play. But I think, uh, I think they know that you kind of get everybody's best week, if you will. And you've seen that. I mean, again, they've lost to Washington. They've lost to new Orleans, two teams that uh, Washington looked bad then. And it looks a lot better. Now new Orleans probably felt bad when it happened. And now it looks much worse just because their, their post Winston look has not been a good thing at all. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, for them to be nine and three right now, um, it's at the same time the best record they've ever had at this stage, and also disappointing, which is strange. But so I think you know I think they've probably let at least one game go that they wish they had played better in, and then would you know be sitting in contention or right there as one of the top seeds in the NFC. And instead, they kind of need help if they want to get that top seed the rest of the way. This is kind of how I mean to a to a lesser degree, but last year the Buccaneers found themselves in a pretty similar situation to what the bills are in right now seven and five seven 12, and five and and then they yeah. went on that crazy run so what kind of keyed that run for them last year if you can take us back just because i think bills fans are kind of try, trying to draw parallels the best they can right. based on monday night well and, and if you're the box again if, if there's a way to remind yourself not to take a seven and five team lightly it, it's who they were last season right. when they'd struggled when they lost games they didn't want to and I think what, what helped them first and foremost is is having a really, really light schedule at the end of the season. Last year, their final four were Vikings, who were still in contention and hot at the time. Uh, Vikings, Falcons, Lions, Falcons were their last four last year. Yeah, that helps. And, and I think it's one of those where it, because they were playing lesser teams, it, they were able to build a confidence. They were able to kind of get that swagger you need for the postseason to where when you start facing real opponents and dangerous opponents – you have a little bit of steam behind you. Um, and, and that helped a lot. This, honestly, this finish looks like it could have the same effect for the Bucs in that if they get through Sunday, if they can win Sunday, they close with the Saints who, again, Saints beat them this year, but the Saints are, are struggling. Saints, Panthers, Jets, Panthers is how they end the season. So it, it, it's kind of like this is this is going over the hump for them. And if they can get over the hump Sunday, it's kind of downhill skiing for for the next four weeks after that. Yeah, it the the Buccaneers, it what they what they try to. I mean, obviously the the calling card for them is the offense: Brady, Godwin, Evans, Gronk, um, Fournette to a lesser degree. Uh, Cameron Brake gets thrown in there. Tyler Johnson's mixed in. All that good stuff. But if and and if certainly the offensive line. Like I was looking up Tr- Tristan Wirfs' pressure allowed percentage. He's allowed like eight, eight all year. Eight all year. That is insane. Right. Cody Ford, who sometimes starts for the Bills, allowed eleven in one game to Washington <laughs> in Week Three. Right. <laughs> so if, yeah, Cody. And go ahead. Cody Ford's funny because Cody Ford is the guy in the nineteen draft. The Bills were at forty and the Bucks were at thirty nine, 
And Buffalo jumped ahead of the Bucks yeah. to get him at 38, which at the time seemed like his victory. They're celebrating their war room like they won a championship. And here a year later, the Bucks end up having to take Sean Murphy Bunting at 39, who they're very happy with. He's had a great mm-hmm. run. It's always funny and that sometimes the winner on draft day yeah. uh, isn't always the one that comes out ahead on that. But yeah, yeah no, you're right. Werf, Werfs has been crazy. Um, I think he's fifth among tackles in Pro Bowl validating. It seems like he's in really good shape to be one of the tackles the NFC picks this year. Yeah. Um, so when you look at their offense, I mean, we can we can sit here and talk about all the strengths, but if there is one weakness of the Buccaneers on offense, what do you think that is? Um, right now, kind of the inconsistency of turnovers. Uh, I mean, okay. Brady, Brady doesn't have a crazy amount of turnovers, and most of them honestly aren't his fault. Um, I think he has 10 or 11 picks off the top of my head. And I would say six or seven are weird kind of deflections, balls that bounced off a hand. Um, those have kind of limited them. Their run game has been inconsistent, but they they don't necessarily need a consistent run game. I mean, they we had thought they might come out and run more Sunday in Atlanta, and they opened up with 13 straight passes. They they threw the ball 51 times in a game in which they never trailed. So it's kind of like the the normal things you want for offensive balance. If you're throwing the ball well enough, and a lot of their throws are kind of these quick screens and dump offs that are almost an extension of the run game, if you will. Um, I'm curious to see what they do this week, because Mm -hmm. here you have a Bills team that, again, Monday showed you if you want to run the ball 46 times against them, it's not a bad strategy uh, under any weather conditions. But it's not what the Bucs like to do. I mean, the Bucs, so you, you you have these two paths, and one is, again, statistically the number one pass defense in the NFL, and obviously that's with Trey White playing. But on the other hand, you have, again, the Colts ran 46 times and got 264 yards. So it's really tempting to say, wow, maybe they run the ball, literally run the ball until the Bills can stop them. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be curious to see how that balance shakes out, what they come out the gates trying to do offensively. What have they done previously when there is that much of a disparity of a, a good pass defense versus a, a subpar run defense? Do they try and match what the the weaknesses are of the opponent, or is it more doing what they always do? It's kind of like you, you, you give what they do what the defense gives them. So okay. if Buffalo tries to counter that, if Buffalo's dropping eight, then mm-hmm. then they're going to run the ball. And if if Buffalo's trying to kind of address the run, if you will, and make up for Monday's shortcomings, then I think Brady's going to try and throw over it. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's weird to have them say, we're going to take what the defense gives us, that kind of thing. But um, they, they just go to what the matchups say to go to. And, and that lets your opponent control things a little bit. Um, they definitely have a lean towards towards passing. I mean, the yeah. the, the splits, the um, they actually have some early down run tendencies that probably work against them. I think they're just kind of committed to the idea of early running. Um, but no, I mean Brady Brady's on course for 700 pass attempts at age 44, and, and you worry that his arm's going to fall off. Like the the only four times in NFL history that a quarterback has thrown as many passes as Brady will throw this season, they didn't win a playoff game in that season. So in one sense, you worry about the wear and tear on a guy that old throwing that much, but he's also leading the NFL in passing touchdowns and passing yards. So you really can't question, gosh, why do they go to Brady so much? Yeah. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is look at the the depth chart of who he's throwing to. And it's like, oh yeah, well that's why they're going to throw it. 8 billion right. times this, this yeah, he's, season. And he's doing this like he didn't have Gronk for six games. He hasn't had Antonio, Antonio Brown for seven games. And he still has, whatever, 34 touchdowns right now. And, and it's on pace to go over 5,000 yards. The, what amazes me about the Buccaneers roster is obviously how it's built. But like at tight end, they have three potential starting caliber players on, on their roster. Whereas right. a lot of teams in the league don't even have one. It's, it's yeah. wild. OJ Howard. O.J. Howard, I think, played six snaps Sunday. Like, he's been kind of marginalized by having a healthy Gronk there. Yeah. But then O.J. Howard's going to be a free agent this spring. And, like, uh, Spot Track does the market value. They have, like, O.J. Howard as, like, an $8 million, $9 million a year tight end. It's crazy. Just because, again, once you get out of the shadow of the greatest tight end in NFL history, you, you might go back to being a 50-catch, six-touchdown tight end. He's just kind of stuck on the bench here. Yeah. Um, switching it over to the defensive side, um, the just looking at some of the metrics on on True Media, uh, the Bucks are surprising to me. One of the zone heaviest teams in in the league. I think they're around eighty percent or something like that. Um, what has kind of led to that uh, ideology 
and why have they been become one of these most zone heavy teams in the league? Yeah, I think the biggest part of it is, is they've had a ridiculous amount of injuries at corner. Okay. Um, their top three, they had their top three back on, on Sunday in Atlanta. It was the first time all three had been together since the first quarter of the season. Um, they've started eight different guys at corner this year. Wow. Uh, they've just, it, it's like the replacements of the replacements have gotten hurt. Um, and I think having, I think the easiest way for Todd Bowles to have people like that back there is to not necessarily put them on an island, to not go as much man as he'd like to. Um, they're less aggressive sometimes as a result. They still blitz quite a bit, but um, now that they have, in, in theory, they should, Jamel Dean has a concussion this week, so he's still kind of a question mark. But if they have Dean and, and Carlton Davis on the outside and Sean Murphy Bunting at nickel, um, they love those three. They, they want a Super Bowl with those three. Um, they'll throw all kinds of looks, even at a quarterback like Josh Allen. I think him being uh, a multidimensional quarterback, a guy who can run as well as he can, create some problems for them mm-hmm. in terms of containing him. But uh, but like I said, when they have a full complement of all the people they want to attack with, they can do a lot more things than they have most of this year when they're dealing with fourth and fifth corners out there against top receivers. Yeah, and I think I saw Dean got in a full practice yesterday. Is that is yeah? That right? It's like oh. was a. They said it's always it was full, but was wearing a non-contact jersey, uh, yeah. which throws me off protocol. a little bit. Right. Um. Yeah. So he's he's still in protocol, but Arians has kind of ex- expressed some optimism about him being able to clear. We get him. Uh, I would think by by the time this podcast is up, he might already be clear. That kind of yeah. thing. Gotcha. Um. So I think the other the other component that interests me about the Buccaneers' defense is their pass rush because last year I think. One of the most uh, formative things to the Bills offseason was how the Buccaneers pass rushed the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's why mm-hmm. uh, one of the huge reasons why the Bills spent their first two picks on defensive ends in this past draft. So I, I did notice that the pressure rates on those guys are kind of down. Like Jason Pierre-Paul is, I think, around 5%. Um, and I think Jerry Hughes has a higher pressure percentage than anyone on the Bucks roster. So why has there been kind of like maybe a, a downturn in pass rush, or is that me just looking too much into the numbers? Yeah, I mean, they started out really slow. They, they weren't a good sack team at all in the first month of the season. I think since week four, they're second in the NFL in sacks now, like only Pittsburgh had more going into mm-hmm. the week. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul has not been himself. Uh, he has a torn rotator cuff. He has a broken finger. Mm-hmm. He's barely practicing. Um, so he's, I mean, he has two and a half sacks. And that's in 500 snaps. And that that definitely is not who he usually is. He was their their lone Pro Bowl guy last year. And he's been, again, just, I don't know, put a number on it, but like 70% of himself. Um, they've actually gotten better production from their backups. Their first-round pick is a guy named Joe Tryon Shoyinka, has three sacks, and has probably gotten close to like seven more. Um, he's like right there, but doesn't isn't quite ready to close out the deal and get the sacks like he needs to. So, um They've actually had better pressure internally than they have from outside. Uh, Sue had a two-sack game last week. Vita Vea's had a two-sack game. Um, their interior pressure might be even better better than their outside pressure right now. Shaq Barrett still has, I think, six and a half sacks, uh, seven and a half maybe, to where he's he's their best by the numbers guy. But but they're getting pressure from all over. Once they have these corners back healthy, they'll blitz their inside linebackers a lot. Um Devin White had nine sacks last year, and I think he has one, maybe two, maybe this year. They haven't done that nearly as much, again, just because they don't think they're quite as confident to throw the exotic looks at, at opposing quarterbacks if they got lesser guys out that their corner. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I, I think the the last thing I wanted to ask you, just from a like a reporter covering this team uh, perspective, is sure. what has it been like based on what you heard it was like to cover Tom Brady as to what it actually is? I mean, um, at least in I Tampa. Guess, <laughs> right. At least and it's funny because last year was very dear. Last year with everything in Zooms, uh, we, we didn't see him in person the entire yeah. year. They won a Super Bowl and we never really, it was all this. And, and you can definitely get personality from Zoom, but it's just not the same experience. So yeah. um, to be with him, to engage with him face to face, at least in the in the kind of podium type deals we've had this year. Um, for, first of all, you're, you're just aware of, of just the amazing, massive national global interest in everything he does. In that you'll have a routine. Uh, here's a video post. Here's what Tom Brady said about how great the Buffalo Bills are this year, and it'll get like 900, you know, likes or something, or it's like you're used <laughs> to getting a tenth of that or something. And it's right. um, so you're just aware of of how the casual fan anywhere on the planet 
knows Tom Brady, is interested in Tom Brady, wants to see pictures and video. And if, if it's just Tom Brady running onto the practice field, again, it, there's just that insane, I don't even know what to compare it to in like a pop culture thing, but just huge interest in everything. Um, you're also aware that Brady, I think, knows full well he can do exactly as much or as little media as he wants to. Mm-hmm. So we get him for four minutes in post game, sometimes two minutes, sometimes in post game. And then he does a 45 minute podcast Monday night with Jim Gray, where he can be much more candid mm-hmm. and say everything he wants. Jim Gray's not hitting him with a lot of tough questions. Uh, so it's, it's tricky and that you have the engagement you have with him and it, it's kind of like doing what he's required to do. And then he knows that again, he can do these things with, you know, people he's business partners with and making all kinds of coin off a podcast. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to save your best stuff for there, I guess. So um, I guess you're just aware that if there's any player anywhere in any sport right now that has the clout to do exactly what they want when they want it, it's Tom Brady right now. So you're, you're kind of uh, aware of that sometimes. But like I said, it, it's, it's wild to see just how big it is. Uh, short of like maybe LeBron right now, there's not anybody else in any sport where you'd, you'd be aware of just the generational success he's had. And then, and then on top of everything else, you're constantly – sitting there and saying he's 44 years old like he, he's not only playing at an age where nobody has played he's leading the league in touchdowns and passing yards at, a, at an age where no one even tries to throw passes anymore wow that's wild to me the closest thing the bills have ever had to that in my time cover- i've covered them since 2010 was yeah. when to got signed right and yeah. they gave him the key to the city that day <laughs> right well and it's, it. it's crazy because like to to me is a lot like antonio brown in terms of just yeah. A decade of dominant, leading the NFL, top three receiver, easy all-pro, pro bowler. And A.B. is like the fifth character here. It's one of those movies where, you know, it's like they have the cast and the fifth guy in the cast is like Matt Damon. And you're like, wow, what, what a crazy deep <laughs> cast this is that like they've gone two months without Antonio Brown. And it you don't even really tell that much sometimes. Wow. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this game because I think the 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 total on the game is 53 and a half. We we could be in for a shootout. It could be a lots yep. of fun, good weather, all that good stuff. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you, Greg, so much for jumping on the podcast. I really appreciate it and uh, giving us the pearls of wisdom of the Buccaneers because it's not a team that the the Bill sees too often. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me and enjoy the game on Sunday. All right, sounds good. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so a lot of good stuff there from Greg. Uh, Certainly, the Buccaneers are a daunting opponent, but one that, I don't know, it's... It's a it's a weird thing. Like I mentioned right at the end there with Greg, it's the total on this game is fifty three and a half, and when you look at the odds, um, the Buccaneers are favored by three and a half, which is kind of alarming, seeing as how the Bills are just went through the the game that they did, and the Buccaneers are seemingly pretty hot right now at nine and three and a really darn good team um but this is an interesting matchup from a bill's perspective because i think there are it is more conducive to how they want to play as opposed to maybe how they matched up against a team like the colts a few weeks ago and I think that that's why that's what leads me to believe that this game could be a pretty tight one. 
So when when you look at the Buccaneers, the, the first thing that pops out, obviously, and we and we touched on this with Greg as well. You see Tom Brady, you see uh, Leonard Fournette, and and what he's been able to do this year. Uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, OJ Howard, Cameron Brate, like it's it's ridiculous the the riches that they have at those positions that they were able to bring everybody back this this season and still <laughs> sustain a multi-week absence from Rob Gronkowski and still fill in with a guy like OJ Howard or Cameron Bray like th- those are two guys that that can start most anywhere so you look at how they operate from an offensive perspective and it's very easy to see what what they're going to try and do like come on I would, while I think they'll maybe mix in some six offensive linemen stuff, just trying to pair it, but we're talking about Tom Brady and those receivers working against starting cornerbacks in Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. Like, they're going to throw the ball. And I think the Bills know that. I think the Bills realize that uh, this will not be anything quite like what the uh what the Patriots attack them with the Patriots are a much different team even though Tom Brady played there a couple years ago they are a much differently built team than what the Buccaneers are and the Buccaneers can throw it with the best of them they're schemed really well to where they have guys popping open against zone coverage because uh, defenders take the bait like I mentioned the Falcons in the first part of the show. The Falcons are tough to watch defensively. Like the Buccaneers just toyed with them whenever the Falcons were in zone. So I don't know if that's really a fair one to kind of look at it uh, because, you know, the Falcons and the Bills are much different. <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, so the Bills, I think defensively they're going to be challenged, no doubt. I mean, Dane Jackson had a one-week reprieve. He he got to get his feet wet without really having to cover anyone. And on the one play, he did cover someone. He broke up a pass, but it was a little hairy, uh, I'll say, from, from a film perspective. Like, Nelson Aguilar had him beat for a double move if he went deep. But that wasn't the route because the Patriots didn't trust uh, Aguilar or they didn't trust Mac Jones to throw it deep in that weather. So rather than, I mean, Dane Jackson was on skates on that play. And rather than busted up field, Aguilar did a comeback route. And Dane Jackson did a really nice job in recovering and being able to uh, to break up the pass. So that was, that was a, ended up being a good rep, but it ended up, could have been a horrible rep had the, the weather not been what it was. I mean, it, it wasn't even though he was sitting on the route. Um, he got he got baited by the initial the initial break before the double move, and it, it was it was it was not a pretty rep. But he bounced back, which was good for him. I think the Patriots are going to see that, and his one play against the Jags against Marvin Jones, where he fell prey to a double move. And I think they're going to attack that. And I would expect that Brady goes after Dane Jackson, throw after throw after throw, until they find out what Dane Jackson is all about. That's how Brady operates. That's what he is. Jordan Poyer um, said Levi Wallace was joking this week about how Brady targeted him like seven or eight passes in a row the first time they, they played, or Levi Wallace started a game against Brady. So it's... It's pretty clear what's going to happen, and it's going to be tough to stop from a Bills perspective. But going in their favor, they do have Taron Johnson, they do have Tremaine Edmonds, they do have Matt Milano. I think Edmonds and Milano can help neutralize what the Bucks are trying to do with their tight ends and the running backs um, in coverage. I think Milano will be in charge of Fournette, if I had to guess. And then, you know, it's just kind of a, a team approach against Gronkowski, whether it be Micah Hyde. Taron Johnson, uh, you know, wherever he is in his own, if he's if he's kind of closer to the middle, Tremaine Edmonds, that sort of thing. But uh, I think from the receivers, Evans and and Godwin, 
Poyer and Hyde are going to play such an important role as to their effectiveness in this game. So I, I do think the, uh, the, the Bills will have some trouble as a pass defense, and it's going to, going to lead to some points. But all that said, I am not expecting this run defense to be as porous as it was. Um, I'm, I'm expecting them to come away with a huge focus on, on limiting Leonard Fournette because they know he can, he can uh, impact a game pretty well. And I think we're going to see a, a pretty huge defensive focus this week on on um, n- not allowing that to be a part of it and forcing the Buccaneers into this one-sided approach of of pass defense that, you know, will it'll yield some points. We'll just we'll just put it that way. But I do think the Bills have enough good defensive players to where they can compensate for that and get the Buccaneers off the field, at least in some stages. And not to mention, Sean McDermott has always, well, I shouldn't even say just Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have always put together a good plan for Tom Brady to the point in which he's never really been able, able to uh, take over a game the way that he we have seen him do to teams so often. And it's a bigger challenge against Tampa because the Buccaneers have better pass catchers than the Patriots ever did. But I do think they'll give out some unique looks and and try and uh, defend Brady in a way that he's not really used to, uh, which is, you know, not all that easy because uh, he's basically seen everything <laughs> at this point in his career. But I do think uh, McDermott and Frazier will have a good plan for him based on historical results. On offense for the Bills, I think this is an incredible opportunity for them to blow up with their passing game. The The Buccaneers have potentially their top three corners back in Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, and Jamel Dean. But I don't see um, who of that group, especially if the Buccaneers kind of shift more back into man-to-man coverage because they have their top three corners. I don't know who is going to check Stefan Diggs or I think Sanders can have uh, can have some better success against these corners than maybe uh, what he has done previously especially you know also 70 degree weather I think certainly helps things with with route running and, and quickness and things like that but if the Buccaneers go to zone I would not be surprised if this is a this is a game where we see Cole Beasley targeted a bunch that's the zone has kind of become their identity and that'll be my biggest question heading in as to whether or not the Buccaneers will stick with what has got them there um, on defense uh, throughout the season, or if they go back to sort of this man-heavy approach and and get back to more pressure to try and get to Josh Allen and and make him make some mistakes in the backfield. So it, that that's going to be one of the the chess games for me, but. I think the Bills will be able to move the ball through the air. I think Dawson Knox has a has a great chance for a bounce back game in this game. Um, again, working against zone defense is Cole Beasley's strength at this point in his, in his career. You know, I I I don't really see in man to man coverage him winning all that often against against Murphy Bunting, but I guess we'll see. Stefan Diggs, I think they'll they'll try to highlight him and get him going in a big way because he is a massive key to their offense. And, you know, Josh Allen was coy in not really revealing what they want to get back to, you know, being there at their best, but you can be darn sure it, it involves him moving the ball to Stefan Diggs as much as possible. So there are, there are some weaknesses there in the, in the Buccaneers secondary. Um, and then you look at, how they could attack them through the ground. I think this could be a game where they use a lot of Matt Breida getting to the edge again, because that's something the Falcons did that was successful against the Buccaneers. Uh, you certainly using, I mentioned this before, using Josh Allen as as a rusher to the to the edges could be something. I think Devin Singletary as someone who, um, where they're maybe lined up in shotgun, this, this is one of his major areas of strength is having a more, wide open look and being able to set people up in the open field 
and gain yardage that way rather than trying to pound it forward or trying to utilize his speed to get to the edge. That's not really him, but in a shotgun scenario, as he's their best pass protector, you know, that that I think leads really well to his skill set. So I would not be surprised if Devin Singletary was the lead back in this game. But I also want to say, and and I'm going to be writing about this for my game preview for uh, uh, for the Bills Buccaneers game, is don't be surprised to see Matt Breida used maybe in the way that they used Isaiah McKenzie. And they've teased this here and there um, previously. There was one play against the Patriots where they had both Devin Singletary and Matt Breida on the field at the same time, and Matt Breida was lined out wide. So I kind of wonder... Because one of the things that they loved about Isaiah McKenzie was that speed. And Matt Breida has that same sort of speed that Isaiah McKenzie brings. And I'm pretty sure that Isaiah McKenzie is going to be inactive again. And I don't know that they necessarily trust a guy like Marquez Stevenson in that role. But Matt Breida, a veteran, he's produced results, and he's really good at at getting to the edge and making you pay. So I would not at all be surprised based on that little one-off that we saw against the Patriots and maybe in some some prior games when Bree was was active early on in the season. There were some two running back looks where Bree was lined up out wide. So do not be surprised if we see a jet sweep or two featuring uh, Matt Breida in this game based off just a, a little hint, maybe a, a smidgen of a hint. So I think that's one way to really um, establish their running game without trying to run into a brick wall that is Vita Vea and all of their all of their excellent defensive tackles and linebackers and things like that. So it's going to be a fun game. So this game, like I said before, it is a three and a half point spread in favor of the Buccaneers. Uh, the total on the game is 53 and a half, which is very large compared to what the Bills had last week, which I think ended at 40 and a half, if I want to say, and it didn't even come close. Ended up being 24. So I look at this game as one that really could go either way. But I kind of like the Bills in this one. And I think how they've approached this week from a player perspective, I think they're going to be intelligent with how they try and move the ball. I think they know how they want how the Buccaneers want to beat them defensively. And so I think they're going to have a pretty solid game plan for that. So the Bills are they're at this point where they've got everything to lose and nothing to lose all at the same point because the division is now like off in the distance at least at this point. And they know that they can answer back with a huge statement against a, a team like the Buccaneers. So I think, I from a matchup perspective, I think it works. I think the Bills can move the ball against the Buccaneers. I think they can get stops against Brady when they need to. Um, so I, I'm going to go with the Bills in this one. I think it's going to be super high scoring. I think uh, I think this one is going to be, you know, pushing 65, 70 points. I would not be surprised if both teams end up in the 30s. So I'm going to take the Bills in this game. I'm going to go with the Bills 37, the Patriots 33. I just feel like this is a game that the Bills... It's it's the type of game that they've won before. Where odds stacked against them. Everyone's thinking they're that they're down in the dumps. You know, going up against what many believe to be a superior opponent. But I do think the teams are actually pretty close from an on-field, on-film perspective. Now, and then you take the the weather elements out of the question. So I think this is this is a, this is a spot where the Bills can th- provide a major statement to the rest of the NFL that they're not dead yet, like uh, Monty Python, search for the Holy Grail <laughs> style. We're not dead yet. I think I think the Bills can do that this week. So I'll I'll take the Bills to win. I'll take uh, obviously the Bills to cover. They're uh, they're giving three and a half points, 
And I'll take the over, which is 53 and a half, which is going to take a lot to get to the over. But I think these two teams can do it. All right. So uh, that'll do it for me. The next time you'll hear from me will be uh, after the game, as I'll be with Matt Bovey breaking down a uh, a huge matchup against the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It is a four o'clock. I, I don't know the exact time. 4.15, 4.05, 4.25. I can't really remember. Um, but it's a four o'clock game. So make sure if you're gearing up towards the one o'clock game you, you kind of adjust a little bit just just sleep in a couple extra hours uh and then and then see it from there and then i'll uh matt Bovey and i will speak with you then and we'll discuss what exactly happened how the bills either won or lost and what it means moving forward just like we always do so uh, by all means should be fun and could be a really stinking fun game All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Uh, Thanks to you for subscribing and listening and and all of that good stuff. And uh, thanks to Greg Allman for uh, coming on the episode to preview what the Buccaneers have to do. All right, everybody. We will talk to you after the game. See you then.